Hello and welcome to the Holistic Healing Project with me, Dr. Lauren MacDonald. Each week I will be sitting down with a range of experts, thought leaders and other inspiring humans to explore how we can all bring more healing into our lives. I believe we all have the capacity to self-heal, to experience more joy, greater meaning and deeper connection. I really hope these conversations inspire and support you on your own journey back to wholeness. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Holistic Healing Project. This week I'm sharing my conversation with my wonderful friend Sophie True. We actually recorded this conversation a few months ago, but I wanted to wait until we were nearer to International Women's Day before I released it. And this is because Sophie really doesn't recognize how amazing she is. I mean, up and down the country, there are people that she has impacted and affected in such a positive way. And I just really want to celebrate her and applaud her for the work that she does in this space. Sophie is one of those incredible people that sees a problem and then does something about it. After her own experience with cancer, she recognised the lack of support and holistic care available for cancer patients. So she set up True Fields, the UK's Holistic Health and Cancer Awareness Festival. As you'll hear in this episode, I can't say enough positive things about this gorgeous little festival. I'm so proud and in awe of Sophie and her mission to really support and empower people to live well, to live better, to live healthier, but ultimately to live more healed lives. I also want to dedicate this episode to our beautiful friend Maraid, who we talk about during this episode and who sadly died at the beginning of this year. Maraid loved True Fields and the festival won't be the same without her beautiful energy this year. In this episode, we explore Sophie's personal journey to setting up the festival, the power of community, integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine, and the way the festival is a space where science meets spirituality. We also explore death and dying, which is something that is coming to all of us, whether we think we're terminal or not. Truefields Festival is held on a farm in Surrey between July the 3rd and the 5th every year, so I hope to see some of you there this year. As always, if you enjoy our conversation, I would love for you to rate and review as that helps to continue sharing the podcast with more people around the globe. Welcome to the podcast, Sophie True. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So for anyone listening who doesn't know you, your story, the incredible event that you put on, can we just start there with really what brought you to running the UK's and the world's first Holistic Health and Cancer Awareness Festival? Um, Just to kind of backtrack a few years, so five years ago I had recently graduated in journalism and my kind of vision, um, I wanted to work as a foreign correspondent out in South America. I'd been making a documentary out in Colombia and started to get some side effects, so things like um, symptoms like night sweats and chronic fatigue and cut a long story short after kind of going back and forward and some um, misdiagnosis of different things like tuberculosis. I was diagnosed with a blood cancer at that point. And I think the real landing point and turning point for me was when I got that diagnosis, having been a journalism graduate, I had a lot of questions. I kind of went into research mode and I just said to my doctor in the first appointment, I just said, is there anything that I can do to help myself? And kind of looking for that empowerment and confidence that I could take an active role. And he just said to me, um, 
there's nothing you can do. Cancer's a lottery. Keep doing what you're doing and leave it to us. And that kind of approach. Now, I know everyone gets different um, feedback. Unfortunately, that is changing. Even in the past five years, we've seen that change, haven't we, quite a bit. But at that point, everything felt very out of control. I just felt quite lost. Luckily, that was a bit of a light bulb moment. And I was treated down on the teenage cancer ward down um, in a hospital down south. And the only restaurant in the hospital was Burger King. And that, again, another, another kind of pin dropped. And I thought, wow, we're not really... What I started to feel is we kind of have a sick care system, but we're not focusing on healthcare, And it felt quite reactive. Sophie, how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I was diagnosed when I was 23. 23, okay. You feel like you're just getting your life together and you've graduated and everyone's kind of either moving or starting work or you're just kind of working out who you are at that point. Yeah, huge thing to go through at that age. Huge thing to go through at any age, but especially, like you said, when you've just kind of, you're starting to get a little bit of momentum, you know, becoming an adult, and then you're just hit by this huge diagnosis. So yeah. when this diagnosis came, what was the kind of, what were the steps, what was the process? Because I know you took kind of a combined integrative approach, didn't you? Kind of com- taking holistic and also the conventional medicine. Yeah, but you know, that was kind of like, like for all of us, that was not something I did right at the beginning. It wasn't this kind of moment of, right, these are the things I'm going to do. It was kind of a step-by-step process. So I had it in three areas and the lumps were growing really quickly. And um, so I started on chemo within a week and then had six months of chemo. And in between that time, started to be connected to people and meet people along the way who really helped in leading me more onto a kind of holistic path. A friend came down with a juicer and I started juicing quite early on and then kind of looking at what I was eating and how I was moving. Um, But then also having things like energy medicine and reflexology and Reiki, which was actually offered um, complementary services within the hospital, which is amazing. And that really opened my eyes up to what we can do to really balance our nervous systems. And I started to notice the difference. So when people say, how do you know it works? For me, it was just the kind of experience of us who are kind of going through it, a living proof of things that can be effective. I would spend about a week in bed being sick and unable to do anything. And the kind of biggest success sometimes is going to the toilet without being sick for about a week after treatment. Um, And when I started to have Reiki, I noticed that I could actually get up and do things and even walk outside. Yeah, it was the turning point of realising, hey, my nails aren't falling out. A lot of people on the ward, their nails were falling out other side effects from this particular chemotherapy and I wasn't having any of these side effects so I started to have more faith in that holistic approach but if you had said to me you're going to start meditating and you're going to start um, doing all of these things like rebounding and just all of the kind of random things that we add into our protocol to try and do everything and anything to get well I would have thought you were kind of crazy about a year before that because I was living quite a a disconnected hedonistic lifestyle so it was quite a process of learning a new way to live I guess. It's obviously so incredible you obviously went into remission which is wonderful and then it's quite a big jump to then set up a festival a cancer specific <laughs> festival which you know when you say the two words cancer and festival 
until I came and experienced the festival myself, I had no idea what to expect because the two words just don't normally go together. So how did that come about? Was that <laughs> something that naturally occurred? or Absolutely not. Everyone, well, I think everyone has this perception as well, don't they, when they hear that. And even us describing to people, so it's the Cancer Awareness Festival, it's hard to really encompass what it is in a description, in a one-liner because it's so much more than that. And as you say, festivals are kind of about celebration and people say, but how can you do something about something so serious? And I think that's kind of part of why I wanted to do it was how can we create a kind of different way of relating to illness in an environment that's uplifting and fun. But also we talk about the taboo topics. So after treatment, I worked for a young women's cancer charity for a year and I was meeting women who had recently been diagnosed putting on workshops and health workshops and started to notice that real uh, craving for connection and community and the power of community to help people heal. I'm quite creative and I just wanted to put that into bringing something to life and I'd always loved festivals and just the power of people coming together for two, three days and everything that can happen. And you know, like there's so many people doing amazing things. There's people who are more in the kind of science space, there are people who are more in the kind of energy medicine world or people who are doing Ayurveda or acupuncture or people who are kind of talking about taboos like psychedelics and dying. And I was like, can you imagine if we all came together for an event and what could happen? And and I wanted to do something that was proactive and progressive, but also really bridge that gap. For me, the kind of the path that I was choosing to take in terms of my healing and recovery and choosing an integrative route. It felt kind of, you can feel quite isolating, or at least I did at that point. Mm, definitely. And, you know, I was speaking to a friend just, just this week, actually, a new friend. We only recently met. She's my age, so she's about 33, 34. She was actually saying that she had cancer when she was 20 and had felt so isolated, so mm. lonely, hadn't known what to do. You know, she's quite a spiritual being she wanted to take a more integrative approach but instead you know she just only went conventional and even to this day she thinks she still got trauma from experience of cancer and then you know the actual experience itself not being supported enough through that but then also the aftermath really um you know and this is what 10 years later she still mm. feels that she's got a lot of healing work to do as a result of the trauma and I was telling her about the festival and you know <laughs> as everybody says they, she just wishes she'd had access to a space and a community somewhere where she could learn and be inspired and then start to heal heal from as well um, so that was really interesting it just shows you know it's not only when you're newly diagnosed that the festival is so important but also it's the healing that happens in the years afterwards and I'd say actually sometimes our capacity to deal with things and to to open up to things is often further down the line isn't it when we've kind of gone through the eye of the needle or when we've kind of gone through the the big the big shock of diagnosis and going through treatment my healing only really begun to be honest even two years after finishing chemo mm, definitely so it's shifting out of that survival mode into a state of more thriving but it takes it's exactly. a journey isn't it? and everyone's journey is unique and takes time I just want to talk more about the festival <laughs> because for anyone who's not been I don't think we've really done it justice yet talking about it and it really is just such an incredible space where you bring together the talks and you know you fly in integrative doctors from all around the world and mm. oncologists and you have people speaking about medical cannabis and gut health and psychedelics and breath work and yoga and it's just this 
incredible integrative holistic festival and I took my mum last year and she had never been before I'd obviously been a few years running and she just said she learned so much she took a notebook with her and just you know was writing constantly and I looked around in the big the main kind of talk tent and everyone was there writing notes and really learning so you had that going on on one level and then in the tent next door, people were dancing and singing and laughing and playing drums. And I just thought, wow, what a brilliant space to really inspire people, motivate them, but also allow them just that freedom to let go of that heaviness of cancer. Mm. You know, it is such a heavy topic. And totally. you have created this magical space. Totally. And it's that thing of wanting to bring lightheartedness and uplift because I really feel like humour and fun and joy is just a really big factor in all of this as well. And I thought, how can we create something that's kind of new and bring and is compassionate and also a space where both sides of the health debate can come together and they can talk about their different opinions and hopefully in a kind of non-judgmental space but we have doctors who come along and they say can I take my shoes off and you know it's kind of a space where people let down their guard a little bit because it's on a farm it's in the countryside out in the field and it really is really special and I think the thing that I love the most is just seeing people making friends and we've had people who've said they've made friends for life I was speaking to a guy just the other day and he said that they'd felt really isolated in her diagnosis. He didn't really get it. She wanted to go down quite an integrative route and he was there supporting her anyway. And he said he came to the festival and for the first time he realised what his wife was talking about. And I think there's an element of family members realising kind of what it's about and being together. And I really want it to be a space that, as you said, you brought your mum, which is amazing, that families can come together and learn and have kind of create memories and have fun and also kind of be in the prevention space together as well. Although it is primarily aimed at people with cancer, you know, things like the kombucha making workshop or the drumming workshop, you know, anybody can come along and learn and it is wellness as well as, you know, kind of actually medicine for someone who's ill, which is wonderful and just... Just healing in community, like you said, there's something so powerful. You do look around and, you know, I, I myself have been there several years on, on the trot and I really feel like I have a true fields community <laughs> now. You know, and we yeah. stay in contact through social media and we're really there lifting each other up and checking on each other. You know, if people are having scans or if people are receiving bad news, we're all there. You know, we're not, we don't know each other well, but we have this kind of common thread and totally. it's know, knowing that we all need support because cancer can be so lonely. And together we can do so much more. We only have to really look at the blue zones to realise that power and community for longevity in life. But I think also with the festival, because it is such a taboo concept, you open up and you feel like you can talk about the topics that you might be afraid to talk about or you might have fear around. And also, as you said, it's it's kind of we have that party in the evening and everyone has music and there's 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 dance and everything. So there's kind of something for everyone. And also, it's not just for those who have been ill, because let's face it, one in two of us will have a cancer diagnosis at some point in our lifetime is the statistic, I think, at the moment. And when I started to do research, what is the percentage? I think it's 90 to 95% of cancers are attributed to our environment and lifestyle factors. And then 5 to 10% is to do with genetics. Well, they do say, don't they, you know, um, genetics load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. 
Absolutely. That, that's really, I guess, what you're focusing on is this environmental factor of, you know, you may be predisposed, but what else can you do? And really empowering people. Yeah. And, and that thing of really knowing that you have the answers yourself. And when you know that there are more options, it can be quite um, inspiring and hope-filled. Yeah. And what I really love about the festival is you bridge science and spirituality so yeah. no matter what somebody you know somebody who's arriving who is very spiritual will find the right things for them there but then hopefully they will also wander into the talk that the oncologist is given giving about nutrition as well and you know the other way around someone who's very evidence-based science-led might suddenly find themselves I don't know in the ecstatic dance tent or just you know <laughs> but I, I love that because you sometimes don't even know what's available or what's out there to support you and also you don't realize what you need um, exactly. so it's providing that space and the integration that you've created is is just yeah amazing I can't say it enough I just think it is the, the greatest festival it's got such a Thank you, love and service and, you know, it's not hedonistic. It is a place of love and beauty. And I mean, imagine saying that, those words around cancer, you just don't really ever say the word beauty around cancer. It's no. not something that you associate with all these kind of positive adjectives. And yet that's exactly what Truefields does. Mm, thank you. I love that. You're our ultimate cheerleader. <laughs> I need to have you round with us when we're going around with flyers but um, it's also an honour to have you part of it and um, it's all about creating that vision together right when you realise that actually yeah how do we collaborate and get creative with it and I realised there were quite a few people that I was coming in contact with who felt quite angry at the lack of information that they'd been given and I just felt like anger is not getting anyone anywhere really and if we something I've kind of a question I've been asking friends recently it's just this thing of if we really believe that everyone's doing the best they can with what they know and our intentions behind certain things on both sides of the kind of health debate are positive then how do we create something that's more kind of kind and compassionate to all and also opens up that kind of education side as well. Definitely and I think the scientific community the science is moving so rapidly now that it's kind of almost catching up with those kind of Eastern principles, you know, things like yoga and meditation, which, you know, for thousands of years we've been told helps the body to heal, but we haven't really known why. We haven't had the science behind it. So, you know, for some people in the scientific community, they would have maybe looked down on people practicing yoga, meditation, and now it's very much at the forefront of everyone's minds. And, you know, I imagine it won't be long before within, within oncology that you are being told you know we really recommend meditation we really yeah. recommend a yoga practice and you know just from my own experience I about four years ago before I was due to start immunotherapy I had I'm sure I've told you this before but I'd gone and gone away and done some research and found some initial studies um, that had suggested that gut, the gut health gut microbiome was really really important yes yeah um, if they were having immunotherapy they did a they the study was that half the mice, they had certain strains of bacteria put into their gut and then were given immunotherapy, having previously been injected with melanoma cells. And the other um, half of the mice were, I think, stripped of their gut flora, potentially through antibiotics, or essentially they didn't have the same 
diverse gut microbiome and all of those mice died really quickly from melanoma so I went off to my oncologist just before I was about to start treatment and said look I found this study it's really interesting it suggests that the gut microbiome might be key in helping me survive you know my prognosis at the time was about a year I wanted to do anything I could having already done you know so much And I was met with, you know, I thought it was going to be a really exciting, empowering conversation. And, you know, my oncologist is fantastic, but it was instead met with, "Mm, I'm not sure about that. It's very, you know, it's an animal study. It's, you know, we're not sure, you know, I wouldn't mess around with your gut microbiome. And I just went away and actually just tuned into my own intuition and decided to just follow what I believed, what, what could right. help me. And, you know, fast forward three years, as human studies showing exactly the same, that it's so important to focus on your gut health if you're having immunotherapy. So it's not that, it's not that my oncologist and the team weren't wanting me to be empowered. It was just that the science wasn't yet there and it's difficult for them to recommend things. And obviously they always have, you know, patient best interests at heart. But it's just, it's just a grey area, isn't it? And it's examples totally. like this that make you think, you know, if I hadn't have done anything, maybe I wouldn't be alive today. Maybe I spent about six months yeah. just having all the prebiotics, probiotics, you know, my diet totally changed. It was my main focus. If I hadn't have done that, you know, why was it that I made it into the kind of 25% of people that yeah. have a complete response to immunotherapy? In my head, I still believe it was that focus on my gut microbiome. And I'd say also on a kind of level of that's your gut microbiome and also listening to your gut and trusting that intuition. And, you know, we have three brains. So we've got our our head brain, our heart brain and our gut brain. I think the gut brain is up there the most powerful. You know, the gut brain is the first brain to form in the womb. So I feel like that's such a key element. Um, And whenever I speak to people and they're kind of going around in circles, because, again, there is so everyone has a different opinion and everyone has a different idea. And actually, it's kind of like, well, what is it for you? Like, what do you feel? How can you strip back those layers and really sit with yourself and see what might resonate? Because there's so much noise. And Mm. also, I think people can be as kind of, are we driven by fear? And that's what I felt like maybe my doctors at that point were kind of driven by fear of saying anything to upset me in terms of being proactive. But actually, the opposite was the case in my case, that actually not being proactive was the thing that made me feel out of control so I think sometimes there's that element we don't want to say too much but when we hear about doctors who have come across the everyone will mention radical remission but Kelly Turner when she went around and interviewed those doctors and she just said have you all seen cases of people going into remission kind of spontaneous remission and they all said yes and she said have any of you documented it and uh, they all said no and it's that thing because we can't really we can't work out what we attribute it to but that can give so many people this kind of boost of the possibilities it's kind of being in possibilities rather than probabilities Mm, and that's another thing I think you do well with the festival it's instilling some hope back in people I actually wrote a post the other day that said that of all the factors the human characteristics when you're looking at resilience hope is the factor that is most powerful and they actually did a study Mm -hmm. at the Royal Marsden which is where I was treated with early stage breast cancer patients and those patients who had hope were more likely to go into remission and not have a recurrence 
And I just think that's so interesting that, you know, I think they looked at other factors like grit and just kind of overall well-being. But yeah, it was hope that came out, the top factor. So anything that we can do to bring back hope into people's lives, you know, it's not a false positive because... Mm -hmm everybody who has cancer it's you know we're we have such negative bias anyway we immediately go to the worst case scenario so it's not saying to people yeah everything's gonna be fine you're definitely gonna survive because that's not it at all but it's just bringing them back from the depths of their despair and fear um, which is so healing in itself and and giving the potential of options another big factor is having meaning and having a kind of focus of you know, when you say, why do you want to live? What is it you want to live for? Those can be quite big factors in that and empowering people as well. Absolutely. I think one of my favourite stages on the festival is actually the stage four Thrivers panel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All of these individual experiences, individual stories, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what they found the hardest. We had a huge stage four Thrivers panel last year, which was so good to see. But yeah, just to hear all of those different perspectives is really important for people in the audience as well, because it's so individual. Everyone's, you know, the cancer they have, the treatment they have, the experience they have. And you can resonate with everyone's story a little bit. And even if you can't, you can learn something from it. Something that we're really keen to do this year is to get people to make it, make it a BYOD event. So bring your own doctor or nurse. It was great because last year, obviously, you gave me the space to bring some medical colleagues on and we had a wonderful panel on the difference between healing and curing, both GPs who'd had cancer themselves as well. And that was a great space to to really invite other doctors to come and speak about how they feel, what they feel is missing in the healthcare world. But also I really think that that brings doctors down onto a patient level and shows the audience, you know, we're all the same. You know, sometimes you elevate your doctor to a slightly guru status when actually we're all human, we can all get cancer, we all have the same fears and worries and we all want to actually survive when it comes down to it. You know, people who maybe turn their nose up or weren't interested in holistic medicine, when it actually comes down to it, when your life is on the line, it's amazing what people are suddenly kind of turning to and they you become more curious, I think, most people. I think you can go down one or two routes, can't you? Yeah, definitely. That's so true. And other people will go down denial and just not be focusing on that. There's so many different ways you can react. It's just providing that space if somebody does want to explore other options. Absolutely. And again, you meet like-minded people because like anything in life, not just in an illness space, we're kind of drawn to people who have similar kind of mindsets. But it's just, it's a big celebration and it's hard to describe what the festival actually kind of is. And really, when, when we say festival as well, it's kind of more of a restival because I think our perception of what a festival is, it's, you know, there's massages, there's different therapies. It's a lot about relaxation and yeah, rest and digest. I love that. Kind of bringing everyone back into a more parasympathetic healing state. Ah, the ultimate. That's what we all need. Um, I just wanted to touch on, obviously, we've been talking a lot about how we can heal and what we can do to empower ourselves when we get cancer. But at the other end of the spectrum is death, which happens, you know, it comes to us all. And it is a part of the festival. You do it in such a beautiful way. You know, we there's very open conversations about death and dying and palliative care. But how how do you think that we could better incorporate that into living? 
because Mm -hmm. I think it's something that's so often hidden, isn't it? And obviously, as I said before, with cancer, it's the first thing you you think of is I'm going to die. I've been diagnosed with cancer. I'm going to die. And there's so much fear around it. What do you think we can do to better support people, you know, before they're diagnosed, really, to make people live with an awareness of dying, if that makes sense? We've kind of got this culture that we're afraid of endings in all senses. And then death is the ultimate part of that. You know, when we go on holiday, we're like, I don't want it to end. Or when I've I've definitely had it at school, I don't want it to end. Or I don't want this weekend to end. We're always kind of not wanting something to end. I think when it comes to dying, the fear is really enhanced by the lack of conversation. Like anything, if we're not open about it, there is that element of the unknown, which is where the fear can come in. On a personal level, I think talking to friends and family about it and opening up those conversations at home. And the other day, for as an example, I was driving to a funeral with my parents. I thought it was a perfect opportunity. We just don't talk about death, even up until the point of what happened to me and everything that's been going on in terms of friends dying and family dying. We it just hasn't really been a thing. And I said to mum, and I was just kind of exploring her thoughts on being open to the topic. I just said, what would you want at that point? How would you want your, you know, we don't actually have to have a funeral, but how would you want that to be? And those kind of things. And she just said, well, if I die. And it was that moment of, mum, <laughs> I hate to say it, but we are all going to die. And some of us are more aware of that than others. You know, I was on the phone to Catherine Mannix earlier today and we were talking, she wrote, um, with the end in mind, And she, well, is a palliative care doctor. And she was just talking about how many people have got in touch with her uh, since she wrote that book and just said, you really changed the way that I dealt with my parents' death or how I was aware of what was happening at the final stages. And I think people don't talk about the steps that happen before we die as well. Um, Obviously, there are deaths that happen that are messy and tricky and painful to watch. But she was saying in the kind of, a lot of cases it's a very the person that's dying is unconscious and um they kind of slip into this very deep sleep a lot of us are afraid about what happens at the point of death and I think knowing this kind of how to like how to steps of what might happen what to be aware of um how we can die well I've got a good friend that you've met um he's a monk and he's been told he's got to have two surgeries coming up And he just kind of really casually said to me on the phone the other day, oh, well, I've been told it could be about a year after that. And I've never really heard anyone approach it in that way, just so at peace and acceptance with it. I know he's done a lot of being a monk and being in that kind of spiritual world, approaches stuff in a very different way. But I really feel it's those conversations, isn't it? And just speaking. Have you heard of, um, it just came to mind, Bronnie Ware? She's a Australian nurse who published an article, I think in 2012, yes. it was just before I was diagnosed, and it was the top five regrets of the dying. Yes. And yeah, 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 yeah. They are all spiritually, kind of in the spiritual sphere, things like, you know, I really regret not living a life that was true to me, maybe kind of, you know, doing a job or something that maybe your parents have wanted you to do. And really coming back to what we talked about at the beginning is intuition and living a life guided by your heart and what's right for you and what's true for you because oh, I just when I read through that list and that was yeah before my diagnosis I just thought oh, how tragic to get to the end of your life and have all this heaviness all these regrets that you didn't live a life true to yourself I know 
I know it's a tricky space to be in when friends are dying from something that you've also kind of had. It's not for everyone, but often there's no other thing to be that other than real and authentic when it comes to it, when it comes to the end. A lot of people will realise what's true to them at that point. I think that is also the kind of beauty of that. It even felt like when I was in the car with my parents, they felt like if we spoke about death, it would kind of make it happen. Did you know what? There's a brilliant book just while we're talking about this subject. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's by a American physician, a palliative care physician called B.J. Miller. And it's about the end of life and preparing for the end of life while you're well. And I think at the back of it, he's got various tools. And one of them is, I think you're meant to sit down with all of your family and go through, I can't, he's got a brilliant title for it. I can't remember the name of it, but go through step by step, you know, what you want at your funeral, what music you want playing, what all your passwords are to various accounts. And he said it so often (laughs) when people go to their family members and we're like, you know, guys, we're going to have a really nice evening tonight. We're going to sit down and plan our <laughs> deaths, like where we want to be. Do we want to be in the hospital or at home if possible? He said, you know, everyone is really resistant to it, but actually it's the best thing we can do because mm. it also helps families because then they know that actually what they're doing and how they're supporting the person at the end of their life is exactly how they want they wanted yeah. it to happen. Um, and so often we just don't talk about it. Yeah, it's that preparation that can kind of also help you get on with being present. And we talk about having a great birth and and all of the kind of steps that we want to put in place. If someone's kind of giving birth, there'll be spoke, there'll be talk through it, and there'll be all of these elements. But actually, we don't re- we don't talk about dying. And being out, I've just been out in India for the past couple of months, and it's fascinating there because life and death is on. You know, it's visible. It's on every street. There's a place called Varanasi where people take their relatives to be put into the uh, the river there and there's this big ceremony it's it's a big deal we kind of celebrate the life that was had and allow for grief and mourning and I um I just heard that a friend had died a mutual friend of ours and I was kind of in this really confused heavy space and I just spoke to a friend out there and he he'd actually washed he said I've washed around because it's such a big thing weddings and funerals in India everyone comes together and he said I've washed around a hundred bodies of friends relatives and they're part of kind of they spend time with the body they wash it everyone's involved as a community and you have this kind of final piece of okay this is what it's like um, and just kind of seeing that vessel whereas for us it's this kind of sanitized thing we don't see bodies put it that way and and also, even speaking today um, to Catherine, who was talking about doctors, they've been kind of saying to her that they haven't really been prepared for how to deal with it as well. So it's such a big, on all levels, big conversation. At least it's kind of like a deaf revolution, isn't it? <laughs> and um, in different kind of Latin countries, they have Day of the Dead where they celebrate relatives and ancestors. And it's this time for honouring that. Whereas for us, I feel like grief it's so isolating. People avoid talking about the person that's died because they are worried that they're going to make the person who loved them remember. And it's just this weird cycle of lack of conversation. Yeah. uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, when mutual friend of ours, because I saw that you had posted the news on the Truefield Mm. site, it absolutely floored me a few weeks ago. Mm. I didn't know what to do with myself. It's that grief, that, that shock and that grief and our friend was just such a special, wonderful human. Absolutely. I just, I, I, I left you that message. I left you a voice message knowing you were in India. And I couldn't speak because I was, I realized I was crying so much. And I thought, should I send this? I kind of had a moment where I was like, I need to delete this message. I just, 
get myself together and then send you another message much more composed and I thought do you know what actually I think I need to just send this and get my grief out there so I'm really sorry for kind of dumping that on you because I know that you were in a similar space but it was almost I wanted to to share my grief with you to give you permission back to share yours with me thank um, you because I actually so I do really hope that it that. wasn't a, a heavy dumping and instead it was kind of a, a mutual space of of healing really beginning to start healing from from losing her I needed that voice note so much because I had just been, I'd had a bit of a day of numbness and not really feeling anything. And hearing that, just as you said, it really allowed allowed me to feel vulnerable and able to kind of sit with it. So thank you. Good, I'm pleased because I, yeah, I wasn't sure after I pressed send. I thought as the festival organiser and you're so brilliant at networking and connecting with people, I imagine just cancer has become almost part of your day-to-day life. How do you deal with that? Because I found it incredibly difficult. Once I'd gone into remission, I thought for a while I wanted to work as maybe a cancer coach because similar to yourself, I just realized there wasn't enough support out there for cancer mm. patients. I tried, you know, I, I did work with a few patients and I found it so difficult. I really realized that I wasn't able to put up my own boundaries and wasn't able to protect my energy. And I, as, as an empath, I really felt for them and I just wanted to help them and cure them and make them better. How do you begin to look after yourself and cope with what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Oh, do you know what? I think it's one of the hardest parts of, of it all because you go... You go through something and that's fine, but we don't really talk about the fact that um, friends and people you meet along the way are also going to die. And that's kind of the big challenge. And to be honest, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm still working it out as I go along. I do have quite a few different things that I do for self-care and, you know, a really big factor. And I realised it because I think every month over the past few years, someone that I've been kind of relatively close to has died and I've even I've been asked to coach a few people who have also been dying and they've wanted that kind of space to talk about that process towards the end and it felt at the beginning I thought how can I coach someone when I know that they're it just yeah there is the side of what I said about death being so real and making people authentic and I think that's the thing that I love a deep conversation and going in quite deep with people and it's where we can kind of also explore life and those depths and I don't know in terms of protection it's hard and then I do have moments where I think right screw it I don't think I can continue this or I don't think I can do this and then I just get that reminder of those friends who have died this is what they were striving towards their kind of memory is also motivating but it's been a process of reconnecting to my emotions definitely I I think I've been quite disconnected and it's easy to also feel quite numb when it happens quite regularly, obviously. I can definitely draw some parallels, just, you know, working as a doctor in the hospital. I remember the first time I was called to see a dead body and basically, you know, you mm. have to go along and do the assessment. And What was that like? It was really surreal. I was, you know, newly qualified doctor, had never seen a dead body before. And then you're being asked to stand with this body you put the curtain around you and you just have this moment of you and and the person Mm. did you feel like anything was there did you feel like this you know this soul had gone no it didn't it felt (laughs) I actually whispered to them I can't even remember what I said but I whispered something you know 
um, you're at peace now, like go with love, you know, be at peace, something mm. like that. Just because I felt that they were still there. And, you know, you really don't, we don't know for sure, you know, what senses are still no. there. You know, we, we just don't know. So I just wanted to let them know that I was there. Also, I was about to, you know, look, start looking in their eyes with a torch. And, you know, I, it, I felt like I was kind of intruding on on them even though they were obviously dead it's just it's a re- really strange thing to do and it's something that doctors don't really talk about and and like you just said you you if you do it enough times you almost become numb and a little bit desensitized which is actually a real shame because in other cultures we don't just have the body there do a quick assessment and then wheel them off to the morgue they maybe are covered in flowers and mm. the, the celebration starts the moment they die um, and we just don't do that in this country. So for me, I found it, I've always found it a very, very strange, surreal moment, but just one that I try and do with love and by being there with them, just offer them love. Cause I think it can be quite a fearful moment as well. If you haven't seen a dead body before as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't say I ever got used to it. It's a very, very surreal experience. Yeah. I don't know when we started or how long we've been like this. And even a friend was saying that she was at her dad's funeral and her stepmom turned to her and just said stiff upper lip when she was crying. And I don't know when we started to not express. And maybe it goes again back to the war when there were so many people who were killed that we kind of developed this culture where we don't talk about the grief and the loss and death. Definitely. Well, in your own way, I hope you know that you are changing this because the fact that we now have a festival that is called the UK's first Holistic Health and Cancer Awareness Festival and the fact that you do make sure that you don't ignore that death is is a part of this is absolutely brilliant. We don't know. We all don't. It's a great mystery. We don't know what happens. I was listening to someone the other day saying those who are most afraid of dying are most afraid of living. And I have to say for me, like up until 23, and actually that's that's not true, probably even up until, I'd say even up until two years ago, my biggest fear was dying. It was that thing of, you know, oh, what just the complete unknown. We used to live next to a graveyard when I was younger and I used to be absolutely terrified at the thought of being next to that with all of these. It was just strange. It's kind of like we're disconnected from it. Mm. So just circling back round to the festival, what's what's next? Because you've obviously got the next one coming up in a few months and you're back in the UK planning and I imagine being incredibly busy. So what's going on? Talking to you made me realise I need to do it again, right? I've got to keep going. <laughs> um, so what's happening? So we're preparing for number four, which is going to be, it's going to be pretty magical. I'm kind of piecing together. I think I feel it's a bit like a kind of lineup puzzle of putting the bits together. So working on the workshops and the talks at the moment, also some exciting music bits. And so that's going to be in July. So what are the dates for anyone who's not been there before? So it's July the 3rd to the 5th. We kind of open on the Friday night with a big um, welcome feast and music. And then the 4th and the 5th, the talks and workshops um, and different activities that are going on. This year, we've got things like aerial yoga, which is exciting and yeah, a fantastic lineup of different speakers. Hopefully, the Holistic Healing Project involved. Yeah, I'm going to be there, definitely. I wouldn't miss it. I just, I absolutely love, I know I've said it so many times, <laughs> but I love this festival and it's so important. I just want anyone listening who either has cancer or has previously had cancer or knows someone with cancer to come along because it would change you. Anyone who's interested in health as well. I, you know, I've yes. got friends 
got friends who come and none of them really have been kind of connected to the space and they just say that I've started to make these changes and I feel really great and whether it's just kind of um, maybe taking a probiotic or thinking particularly around mental health at the end of the day everything we do for prevention and add quality of life and whether it's preventing reoccurrence whatever stage we're at is also things we can just do generally to be well and get the most out of most out of life and feel good just out of interest I'd love to know do you have a favorite part of the festival (laughs) I thought you were going to say do you have a favorite speaker (laughs) well I hope that would be me (laughs) I was like Lauren are we doing this Um, (laughs) favorite part of the festival do you mean in terms of the different areas yeah, is there one area that you're really proud of or something you feel that is really needed or just just a bit that you like hanging out in the most, I guess? To be honest, I love seeing just people hanging out together and that, that side. The farm is just also the perfect site for it because it's just stunning trees and I feel like everything just kind of clicks together in a really lovely way. And it is that element of nature and it's so calming being there, like you said, it is that helping people drop into parasympathetic and really rest and digest. So what's next for you? you, I mean, obviously, I appreciate you're probably just in pure festival mode (laughs) for the next few months, but have you got anything else coming up? Yeah, I'm kind of landing after India. So I was doing a meditation teacher training out there and also doing breath work. I feel like those two tools were the things that really got me through a lot of things. And I wanted, I kind of want to put something together with those two maybe a retreat maybe a breathwork meditation definitely in the UK I'm feeling really drawn to kind of exploring the change in seasons that we have kind of connecting with the cycles that we have outside and what's happening with nature and doing something maybe around kind of autumn kind of that that transition time from summer to autumn so yeah definitely doing more breathwork originally I have this kind of idealistic thing of let's make everything accessible and kind of free to all but you have to be realistic in like sustaining funds and keeping stuff going but I want to uh, eventually I've realized I want to kind of do something around providing and teaming up with friends also in the space of doing kind of breath work and meditation for kind of for good and offering it to people in communities for example who um, refugee communities there's amazing projects in London with um, people doing yoga for refugees and also kind of doing I think just the power of getting back into your body um, you know we talk about what well, we've got there's the book body keeps the score and everything and breathwork feels like that really sustainable healing tool that people can use to connect back into themselves and um, particularly for me I felt like I lived I was really disconnected from my body and I want to start something that is kind of breathwork for good that we do breathing sessions in communities for maybe people who have been affected by trauma for example well knife crime in London and people who might not access these tools. Mm, That's such a brilliant idea definitely and in terms of the festival have you got are you going to keep running it every year or is this going to be the last year what are your thoughts? I'm handing it over to you to run I didn't I I was gonna let you know at the end of this but um (laughs) Uh, yes, we will, um, at least for the next two years. And then alongside that, I want to be yeah, creating something that's a bit of a kind of blend of coaching, breathwork, meditation. Yeah, I'm so pleased you exist and you're doing this work. Because <laughs> Likewise. On a, oh, bless you. Honestly, as a newly diagnosed cancer patient, I felt so lost and alone and I was so overwhelmed by 
all of the kind of potential things I could be doing to help myself that I almost became paralyzed with not knowing what to do or where to turn. And I just think you've created the most brilliant space to help people learn and become empowered and feel supported and loved. So yeah, what you're doing is just amazing. I know I I speak on behalf of so many people that have attended and every, everyone I speak to just says the biggest thank you to you for creating the space. I really appreciate hearing that because I think it is that thing when you're so caught up in organizing and, and you're so in it, you don't really see outside of that. And it's those reminders hearing from people like you and things that make you keep going and feel motivated. So thank you. And you know the feeling is mutual. I'm always filled with uh, hope and inspiration from all that you're doing. So I'm very grateful. Oh, thank you, Sophie. And so just to finish, I always ask my guests at the end, (laughs) what does holistic healing mean to you? Holistic healing, definitely being on my own team. I, for many years, had a bit of an inner narrative of kind of feeling guilty or feeling just had a lot of kind of feelings of shame or just different inner voices happening. And so holistic healing is definitely becoming on my own team and even kind of like my own best friend uh, with that inner narrative. And just embracing embracing the uncomfortable parts of life and being present with it all. Instead of disconnecting and numbing, it's kind of leaning into what, what we're being asked to learn in each moment. Yeah, embracing feelings and wholeness. And I often say it's that thing. And I definitely did this well of kind of like numbing the dark. You also numb the light. So um, stepping into both sides of that. Oh, Sophie, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely to reconnect with you. And obviously, I cannot wait for the festival. It's wonderful. And here's to, uh, here's to all the goodness ahead. Wonderful. Take care, my love. Lots of love. For those of you who'd like to take a deeper dive into your healing and transformation, I would love to invite you to join me on retreat in Bali this April. The Reconnection Retreat is being held in Ubud between the 18th and the 24th of April, and we still have a few spaces left. So if you're feeling a bit stuck, maybe going through a life transition, or maybe you just want to reconnect with your true essence and come back alive, then this retreat might be exactly what you're looking for. The reconnection is a journey from disconnected to reconnected, nourished and aligned. Through yoga, meditation, breathwork, movement and other unique workshops, trips and ceremonies, we help guide you back to yourself. After all, the relationship with yourself is the most important one you will ever have. So many of us are disconnected and we just need that time and space to find ourselves, really tap into what's true for us and then we can go back out into the world and shine our truest expression. So if you're interested, please get in touch. You can head on over to my website at drlaurenmcdonald.com forward slash retreat for all the retreat details. And otherwise, just send me a message either via Instagram or an email and I can get back to you. I really hope you can join us in Bali in April. Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.